I enjoy getting to worship with you at the downtown congregation in Cedar Hill. And we especially enjoyed the service this morning. You have beautiful singing in this congregation, and that's a tribute to you, and, and you have a good leader. There are many, many churches in various places that are much larger that don't have as beautiful music as you have in this congregation. I appreciate your four elders and all that they do for this church and what they stand for, and I've come to love and respect all four of them, and also your preacher, David McElwain. I don't know if many or any of you know this, but uh, over the last few years, David has uh, been very generous with sharing uh, leafs and pages from ancient English Bibles with me because he knew I collected that. And uh, he has given me today a page from Taverner's English translation of the Bible that goes back to the 1500s. And uh, it'll just be a page, another page that he's given me from that particular Bible. And I treasure especially uh, his thoughtfulness. Most all of our collection is now in the hands of Fried Hardeman University, and it predominates on the second floor of the library in cases which the library has put together to house such a collection. And among the things that are there are things that David has given me through the years. I enjoy listening to missionaries talk. Once a year when the White Rock Fund meets in October, we have some of the world's most effective missionaries to come our way and tell us about the Lord's work in various places. And I think that's what, was like, what it was like here in the book of Acts, where we read about Paul and Barnabas coming back from their first missionary, second missionary journey and gathering the church together and sharing with them what God had done and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And then a little bit later, as we move into chapter 15, the text says that they went down toward Jerusalem and as they went along through Phoenicia and uh, through Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted and this news made all the believers glad. You know, there's, there's just something about hearing how the gospel is spreading that makes believers glad. And this congregation has had a part in the work in Connecticut for several years. And every time we get together, I try to share with you some things that God has been doing. Not in order to make ourselves look good, but just to let you know what God himself is doing. And many of you have told me that the good news has made you glad. I hope that that will be the result of what I have to share with you this morning as we talk about the Lord's work in Connecticut. Connecticut is a state in the Northeast that uh, is not among the largest of the states, but it is one in the uh, borders, the state of New York, and it was settled around 1707. And bordering the state of New York, it is also on the river, the Housatonic River that flows through 
the western side of Connecticut. There are about 30,000 people who live in the town of New Milford, and it is situated about 85 miles from Hartford and about, excuse me, about 55 miles from Hartford and about 85 miles from New York City. Religiously, the largest population of the town is Catholic, and in a way that has proved to be very fruitful for the spreading of the gospel, and I'll share some of those stories with you this morning as we go along. Uh, in the state of Connecticut, there are about 20 congregations, and the church in New Milford is one of them. The building was built a few years back, and uh, Brother Field from Abilene, Texas, was the contractor. We recently added this new sign, and people are coming to visit our services just because the church building is located on a state highway, and this new sign is most unusual in the community. Our son, Timothy, is the preacher of the congregation. Timothy is a graduate of Northeastern Christian College and also of Fried Hardeman University and also of Lubbock Christian University. And he and his wife, Renee, and their two children, Rebecca and Jonathan, have been living in New Milford for 15 years where he has served as the pulpit minister for the congregation. I serve as an outreach minister, and as an outreach minister, Paula and I work together to accomplish things that are important that the pulpit minister doesn't always have the time to do. For example, we are interested in home Bible studies, and every visitor that comes through the doors of the church building, we try to set up a home Bible study with those people. I teach Bible classes at the church building on Sunday morning. And also, we are in charge of publicizing the activities of the church in the local community through the newspaper and handouts and other such things. I edit a little magazine called Christ for Today that I'll share some news with you about that in a moment. And this magazine is sent throughout all of the six New England states. We like to visit with people and enjoy getting to visit, especially with those who have come to our services, and our home is open for the members of the church to come and have fellowship in our home. We follow up with new Christians, and Paula is very active in the activities of the ladies' Bible class. But Tim and I do most of the teaching. I teach a Sunday morning Bible class most frequently, and Tim is always in the pulpit. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said that there is such a thing as sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel in 1 Timothy 1, verse 10 and 11. And I can assure you that when Tim or I or anyone else teaches in the New Milford congregation, that's exactly what they hear. Tim is not into the things that some have gone to that have compromised the gospel and have weakened the message, but he teaches the truth and he teaches it faithfully, and I back him up in teaching what he teaches. And here in this particular case, the upstairs auditorium class on Sunday morning for the adults is what I'm teaching, and downstairs, Tim is teaching in the fellowship hall on another occasion. One of the things that Paul and I like to do and need to do is to visit with preachers in circumstances that are not always encouraging. 
So during the year, we make several trips to visit with such preachers. This year, this past year, we went as far as Augusta, Maine, where the church is struggling with about 20 people, maybe 25 people, and their preacher does get discouraged because so many have moved out of the area due to the economy being what it is. Also, we were able to be an encouragement to the preacher in South Paris, Maine, who has recently moved there from another state, and he's taking on a challenge to one of the few churches in the New England states that has elders. We went to Worcester, Massachusetts, and there is a congregation composed primarily of Ghanaians. There are two or three centers for immigrants from Ghana in the United States on the East Coast, and one of them is the city of Worcester, Massachusetts. Another one is New York City. And so on the list of churches that we were able to encourage and preachers we were able to spend time with includes the preacher, Brother Opong, who preaches for what is probably the largest church of Christ in New York City. His name is Paul Opong. We were able to visit with a brother in Lancaster, New Hampshire, who's most discouraged because the church has not grown much. And they're now down to two members in a large building. But they are questioning whether or not the Lord wants them to stay in that community. And so we, I hope, were able to be some encouragement to them. We visited also in Newport, Vermont. Newport, Vermont is on the border of Quebec, Canada. And there is a church building there that was built by brethren from Tennessee a number of years ago. It's a nice brick church building that seats about a hundred upstairs and downstairs for Bible classes. And there are five members that are in the congregation. They have no preacher. They have no male members of the congregation. The five ladies that live in that community and who have been members of the church for many, many years conduct the entire service. And when a man does come, they turn the leadership of the service over to him. But on most Sundays, there are no men who come from other places to visit with the church in Newport, Vermont. We are working to try to find a preacher to move to that community and help the church to get truly planted and stabilized there. And I'd like to encourage you to pray for the brethren, the ladies who are meeting in Newport, Vermont today. Two or three of those ladies go to Florida for the winter. And so it may be that this morning on this particular Lord's Day, there will only be two women who gather for worship at that place. They need a preacher in the worst way. We were able also to visit with the brother who is a new preacher in Montpelier, Vermont. He is African-American. The rest of the congregation is Caucasian. He's fitting in great. He's reaching out into the community, and he's been able to teach some people. And I believe he's recently had one baptism. Here's a congregation that doesn't have a building of its own, but it meets in the Grange Hall. And every Lord's Day... They are there for worshiping the Lord. They number about 40 in attendance. In New Milford, Connecticut, where we live, the church is also growing. Our average Sunday morning Bible class attendance 
has more than doubled from what it was when we first went there. It's running around 43 every Sunday morning. Our worship attendance is running between 50 and 70, depending upon who's sick and whether or not it's snowing. The average number of visitors, now this is the average number of visitors that we have every Sunday is eight. And I'm talking about people who are not members of the Lord's Church. We have 15 children in the congregation and six teenagers, and the budget is $2,265. All of these numbers may not impress everybody, but they mean that the church in New Milford is growing, and we are so thankful that God is seeing fit to answer our prayers. Here are some pictures of our young people. The picture on the top left is a picture of our teenagers. Some of these young people have now gone off to college. Two of them are attending college. One has gone off to uh, the army. But we have other teenagers that were not there that day for the picture. So we are still running a good group of teenagers. Also, we have at least two babies in the congregation. And one of the little babies is in his nursery cradle roll class. And then the two young ladies that have gone off to college are in the center picture. And then there's a couple of young girls over on the far right. One of the girls that left to go away to college this year is our granddaughter, Rebecca. And Rebecca has prepared the Lord's Supper every Sunday for a long time. Now that she's gone, she has trained some others to know how to prepare the Lord's table. And so these young girls, especially the one in the center on Rebecca's uh, left, uh, is learning how to fill the glasses with grape juice and how to prepare the bread. She has a lot to learn and didn't realize that if you don't find the grape juice, you should not put some other kind of juice in there. And one Sunday I wasn't sure what they had, but it wasn't grape juice. But she has to learn, and so she learned that Sunday about that. Another thing that I'd like to share with you is that Christ for Today, the magazine I mentioned before, is being circulated, and largely because of your generosity, we have the funds to be able to circulate it in many places of the Northeast, especially in the six New England states. It is being mailed by 11 congregations into their communities with a minimum of 1,000 addresses for each community. And there are about 30 congregations that, that accept bundles in their membership and distribute it to all of their members. So that means that about 40% of all the churches in the, in the New England states are impacted by Christ for today. Most of the articles that are there are written by people who live in the Northeast. And most of those articles are designed for people who are not yet Christians. It is an area where there's so much unbelief and skepticism and doubt that's important for people to know the reasons why we believe in the inspiration of the Bible and the existence of God and the deity of Jesus and many other things. Here are the two issues that we recently published. 
And they go up into Maine and to New Hampshire and into Vermont and to Massachusetts and into Rhode Island and to Connecticut and into Manhattan. But you know the church in Manhattan can distribute or mail out a thousand copies and it's hardly a drop in the bucket for the number of people who live there. During this year, seven have obeyed the gospel. Mike is a state policeman, and he and his wife, Michelle, and their two daughters, one is a senior in high school and the other is a student in college, gave their lives to Jesus Christ and were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. They live a long distance from the church building, and it takes them about 45 to 50 minutes to be there on Sunday. But almost without exception, they make that trip. Here is a, a young lady named Tessa. Tessa is the daughter who was learning how to prepare the communion. And she gave her life to the Lord, and her father baptized her into Christ. Peggy walked in the front doors of the church building this fall, and she said, I've been reading Christ for today for several issues. I am a Catholic, but I have not been learning anything about the Bible for years, and I am ready to leave the Catholic Church. I am a lost soul. So we began a Bible study with her. Her career has been a teacher in school, and she was open to learning, a fast learner, and then she gave her life to Jesus Christ and was baptized into him. Her husband, Drew, is not as interested. He believes, that create, he believes that reincarnation is the key to every problem. He's gonna get another chance and do it better the next time. But Drew, perhaps, will be impacted by the way his wife lives, even though she doesn't say a word. He'll watch how she lives. And maybe his interest in spiritual things will increase. He made the first baby step recently when he was invited to come to a Christmas party with Christians. And he decided that he would do that. Pray for him. Nicole. Nicole is a college graduate. She's had a hard life. In the past, she struggled with various kinds of drugs. She's been sober, completely drug-free and alcohol-free for a few years, and she's been searching for the truth. She drove by the church building one day, and she saw that new sign, and she saw cars turning in there. And she said, I don't have any idea what this church is about, but I'm going to go in there. She came. She stayed. She taught. She was. She learned. And she's given her life to Jesus. That's seven who were baptized this past year. Wayne lives in a town about 30 miles away. During his younger years, the Christian church, the conservative Christian church, existed in his community, but later folded up. But the while it was there, Wayne learned the truth on how he needed to respond to the Lord in the biblical pattern of conversion, and he was baptized scripturally 
back in those years. But when his church folded up, he had nowhere to go. He could not find another church in the community that taught even the plan of salvation correctly. When he found out about the church in New Milford, he began to come. And then he decided to be restored and place his membership with us. He brings his wife with him almost every Sunday. But on the Sundays that she's not there, she is worshiping in a Buddhist temple. Sure, she is a Buddhist. We hope that somehow the gospel will penetrate into her heart as well. And Wayne's brother, Joe, and his wife, and their two sons, and the wife of one of the sons, and the sister of his wife are all coming every Sunday now. Some of them have been baptized and others have not yet been baptized. Some of them are Mormons, but they're coming every Sunday because of the leadership of Wayne, who introduced them to the Lord's Church. One of the things that we're doing this year for the first time is mission work. The brethren weren't sure if they ought to do mission work since they are on the receiving end from support from other churches. And I reminded them that when Paul left the church at Philippi, it was a young church and it had its challenges. But when Paul went on to preach the gospel at Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens, and Corinth, he writes back to the Philippian church and he said, You were the only church that contributed to my needs when I left Philippi. And that's a good precedent for churches to follow. Because a church grows spiritually as it takes on mission responsibilities. And our support is not really large, but it is significant for this is the first time the church has ever reached out to share the gospel by supporting other gospel preachers. One of these is a brother in Castleton, Vermont, Kirk Israel. He lost a lot of his support this last year, and we were able to step in and help provide some of the shortfall. Another one is Cleve Stafford, who is the associate minister of the White Rock Church in Dallas. But he has decided that he will move to Warwick, Rhode Island. He needed support, and again, we were able to help out in some way to enable him to go to Warwick. He will soon be there, and if God wills, become the preacher for that congregation. During vacation Bible school, we had an interesting thing happen. Almost all of our families with children... We're on vacation. In New England, vacation from school is very short. School lasts all the way almost to July the 1st and begins in August. So people who have children have to make their vacations as soon as school is over and within the next 30 or 45 days. This particular year, this last year, almost all of our families were out of town on vacation. It looked like that we would only have maybe two of our own children in town. And I said to Tim, Tim, Vacation Bible School is an expensive project. And I'm not sure that we should go through with this. Tim said, it'll be all right. The Lord will work it out. I said, okay. 
Well, we opened the doors for Vacation Bible School, and we had four of our own children there. And then we had other children from the community that we had no idea were coming, and they began to come. There was Leela, whose mother is a Protestant. There was Sarah, whose mother is also Protestant. Olivia and her parents showed up. And Shirley, whose mother and father belonged to no church at all, but whose great-grandmother I had baptized during the first time we lived in Connecticut. She showed up. And there was Zach, Sarah's brother, who was also there for the first time. And all of these children, plus the four of our own, that was Vacation Bible School. Since that time, some of these children have continued to come to church and bring their parents. And we are anticipating that in 2019, some of these parents of these children will obey the gospel. That's something that we look forward to. One of the things that has proved effective for us is Friends Day. The key, for us at least, to having more visitors is for all the members to take responsibility for bringing the members, the visitors. And so twice during the year, we have a day set aside as Friends Day. We print up a brochure, and the members take the brochures two weeks before the event. And they begin to invite their family members, they invite their neighbors, they invite their co-workers to visit our services on those days. We promise that as soon as church ends in the morning, there will be a potluck dinner for everybody, and we encourage everyone to stay. Most of the visitors that stay around and come back again and again are the people who have been contacted through Friends Day. And this year, we're looking forward to meeting some new friends. Paul is very involved in the ladies' activities. Here on one side at the, with the table is the group that meets every week for ladies' Bible class. And the, the lady that is in the center is Peggy, who just was baptized just recently. The other picture is of some of our ladies who are attending the Ganderbrook Ladies' Retreat in Maine. This is an annual retreat that attracts over 200 Christian women, and they spend three days there. And they have great fellowship and good lessons from the Word of God. I told you that our home is open to members to come in and have fellowship, and on this particular occasion, Paul hosted a tea for the ladies, the young ladies and the older ladies. And it celebrated the two of, the, of our young ladies that have gone off to college. And they enjoyed that fellowship time. Our fellowships include, uh, uh, at various times, after the service is downstairs in the fellowship hall, and sometimes in the local park, the Harrybrook Park. As a matter of fact, three times a year, the congregation goes to this park. It goes on Memorial Day, July the 4th, and Labor Day. 
And there we invite visitors to come. And every event, the visitors are emphasized to invite visitors to come. And so they do. And so we have people there that are not members of the church, have never attended our services. But some have become interested in attending because of being introduced to the church at Harry Brook, Christian, Harry Brook Park during our Christian picnics. It was said of the early church that they devoted themselves to fellowship. And I believe that one of the keys for the church to grow anywhere in the world, and especially in the mission field, is to have lots of fellowships where people get to know each other. I want to say, ask you if you would pray for some people that we're working with right now. So if you have a pencil and a piece of paper, here are some names. I gave you names last year of people to pray for, and I want you to know that one of those was Nicole, who obeyed the gospel. Another one was Wayne, who is bringing his Buddhist wife to church with him and was restored. Please continue to pray for these individuals. Pray first of all for Joe and Crystal, the mother of the little girl who came to Vacation Bible School for the first time in her life, whose great-grandmother I baptized into Christ years and years ago. Joe and Crystal attend no church. They have been present on various occasions, and I hope that they will open their eyes and open their hearts for us to teach them very soon. Pray for Kevin and Amber and their little daughter, Olivia, who came to Vacation Bible School. Kevin and Amber moved into Connecticut from Wisconsin, or Iowa, I think it is. He is a scientist. And they had no religious background, no church affiliation, but one of the members invited them to come to Friends Day. And after that, they began to come more often. And now they're willing to study. We just began the study recently. Let's pray that God will bring this couple to the Lord and they can raise Olivia to be a Christian. A young lady who rents a room from them is Mary. Mary has also been coming to church. She is a professional chef. She is a Baptist. And her heart is open to learn the truth. Would you add her to your prayer list? Ratana is the Buddhist. Would you, open, would you pray for her that she would open her heart to learn about Jesus? We have a few teenagers that need to obey the gospel, and we're praying for them to do that, and I'd like to invite you to do the same. Joe is the brother of Wayne, and Joe and his wife Lauren and their son Jacob were baptized in the conservative Christian church years ago in their community which later the church folded up. They have been going from one church to the next, trying to find the church that teaches what the Bible teaches, and they can't find it. And they've been to all the churches of their community, and that was quite a few. When Wayne invited them to come to New Milford, they came and they stayed. And they love what they're hearing. They know they're hearing the word of God. And now they have another son who is married to a Mormon. And his wife's sister is a Mormon. And all of them are coming. They fill up the whole row. Would you pray for that family? 
there's a very good chance that they will be ready to stand for the Lord in the very near future. And then I need to ask you if you'd pray for these that are seven new Christians who were baptized this last year. You know that new Christians need lots of teaching, lots of encouragement. They have many challenges, and it's important for us to pray that they will be faithful. So these are the folks I'd like to ask you to pray for next year when we come back. If God wills, ask me, what was the result of your prayers? And may God bless the downtown church in Cedar Hill. You have been good and effective servants of the Lord. And you continue to do good by supporting the work that is going on in the Northeast. Now, it may, very well may be that there are some here today who have not yet obeyed the gospel and who need to obey the gospel. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it's very important for you to realize what the commitment means. It means you must turn away from whatever is wrong in your life. If you're old enough and mature enough to understand that you've done wrong, you're old enough to repent. And then it means that you need to confess the Lordship of Jesus. For if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and if you will confess him as Lord, you'll be saved. And then you need to be baptized by immersion. As the scripture says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. I mentioned to you at the very beginning that I've been collecting rare English Bibles from the 15 and 1600s for quite a while. During that period of English history, people who took the Bible seriously were often put to death. People who dared to translate the Bible from Latin into English were, were executed. People who distributed Bibles whether by selling them or by giving them away, were put to death. But there was one Catholic leader on the continent who rose from what he saw around him and began a serious study of the Bible. His name was Erasmus. He was the greatest scholar of his time. When Erasmus discovered through his own study of the Bible what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, he wrote in his paraphrases on the New Testament, Jesus says here that before people are baptized, they must be taught. We are, teach we are baptizing people who have never been taught. We are sprinkling them, and they know nothing. Jesus gives us the proper sequence. First, we teach all the nations. And then we baptize them. And then we teach them again. And he said, we need to teach the lost. They need to receive the word. They need to believe what they have read. And they need to be dipped in the water. And when that happens, they will arise from the waters to be the children of God. You say that's rather strange that a man so prominent and a member of the Catholic Church would write so boldly and plainly. 
And the reason is that he wanted to do and teach what Jesus said. It is not ironic that we stand where he stood. It is because we're reading the same book and we have both discovered that in order for a person to become a child of God, there is a plan. If you are a learner, if you have believed what you have learned, if you have now a sincere desire in your heart to repent of your sins, if you will be dipped in the water, baptized by immersion, you will rise from the waters to be a child of God. Or if you're ready to make that a commitment, would you do so now as we stand together and sing?